Hi, everyone. Welcome to your Hawks Insiders Tuesday night safe space. Uh, my name is Ashley Brown, and it is great to have you all on board as we do one last dissection of what was a very unpleasant afternoon of football. It's a bit like Rivers in Root Canal, really. Hawthorne beaten by St Kilda by 69 points last Sunday at the MCG. We'll have to just go through a bit more, and then we will turn our attention, as Sam Mitchell said, then throw forward and look ahead to a big one on Monday at the MCG. Uh, let's go around the panel and do our... Uh, Good evenings and welcomes, firstly, to co-host Andrew Weiss. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. Looking forward to dissecting last weekend and looking ahead to what should be an exciting game on Monday. Uh, Darren Levine, hello. Good morning, Ash, everyone. Um, Great having you here. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Hello, Brad. Evening all. Pleasure to be here again. Looking I can forward see to you, evening. I can see you pushing off the side screen already, Brad. This is going to like be... Like a chest uh, cat. You are going to be uh, very uh, informative and entertaining, I think, this evening. It's be fun. Simon Morowitz, hello. Good morning, all. And uh, Danny Prins, welcome to you once again. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me, everyone. The voice of reason. You are. You're the sensible one amongst us, Danny. So it's imperative that uh, keep the guys not because I think the rest of the guys are a little bit, a little bit off hinged, unhinged at various times. Um, we are the Hawks Insiders. We thank you all for your support of what we do. $5 a month, $50 for 12-month subscription uh, gets you the very best Hawthorne opinion and analysis feature content there is on the information superhighway. So uh, we thank you for your support and look forward to it ongoingly. So, uh, and don't forget, this is a this is a multi-layered conversation, please. If anyone's got anything to say, I know a couple of regulars here who might want to join us at some stage, just put a request in to speak and we will get to you as soon as we can. Um, so, yes, a bleak afternoon at the football for the Hawks. If, if you take away the fact they scored the first two goals of the game inside the first two minutes with St Kilda barely touching the ball, and then the last two goals of the game, uh, within the last two minutes of the game, as it was, this was close to a 100-point thrashing that Hawthorne suffered their most non-competitive performance probably since the last time they played St Kilda, although as we probably go through some of the numbers, would suggest it was actually more competitive on Sunday than it was when they played the Saints last year. Um, Danny, I've assigned you uh, to tell us what was the good about uh, yeah. what worked against the Saints. You, you gave me the short end of the stick, that's for sure. Um, it, there were The positives were few and far between, I felt, um, other than like you talked about, we kicked, we started well and I was, it was my first game for the year. Uh, live in person at the G and I thought, here we go, we're on boys. And um, I let the St Kilda supporters around me know. I think Daz heard me from his seat Uh, and it was all downhill from there and didn't I cop it from the guy in front of me. So um, I think there were a couple of positives, um, but even then I wouldn't say they were really, really, really good things, but I thought the endeavour of John Newcomb was uh, fantastic. He wasn't clean with it. He didn't do. Um, he didn't really use it very well at all. But man, he goes in hard and he tries to make things happen. And I love that 
backs against the wall and it was one of our youngest blokes on the park that really tried to lift his midfield unit that was just getting slaughtered. Um, the heart of Ned Reeves um, fighting single-handedly in the ruck and probably breaking even with Rowan Marshall, um, but just not having that um, tag team partner to combat Paddy Ryder um, hurt. But I, I was really um, impressed with the way he fought it out um, and then, you know, solid-ish enough games from uh, CJ, um, Scrimshaw and Sicily, which is funny to name three defenders when we cop an absolute hiding. But I actually didn't think our defence was um, a man-to-man wasn't the issue. I think actually being so uncompetitive uh, in the middle and then our transition defence was the problem a lot of the time. And then you know, just kicking it to the opposition when you're 15 metres out directly in front of your own defensive goal. Um, so that were probably the good things uh, from what I saw. Um, not a lot to hang your hat on, but um, enough uh, glimmers glimmers there to, you know, maybe see that there's something good, exciting in our future with guys like Reeves and Newcomb. Certainly agree with Ned Reeves. I thought he was heroic. In a lot of ways, he came to the game sore. Um, Sam Mitchell admitted as much, and he just uh, rolled up his sleeves and went to work as best he could against the best, arguably the best ruck tandem in the competition. So, uh, well done to him, and we'll get to a very early preview of Brad's selection dissection later on. But uh, there will be some reinforcements this weekend, which uh, I think are badly needed. Uh, Myra, this will be good. The bad. Yes, thanks, Ash. Um, I got to say, first and foremost, it was just. Such a treat to be there. Um, I don't get to get, go to the games very much these days. Um, so to get Sunday afternoon off and um, watch the boys at the MCG. Which, the last game I went to was was at Etihad, and I think the game before that might have been there as well. So I can't think of the last one. I was just at the G watching the Hawks. Um, and we got absolutely belted, but that's kind of almost secondary. I really enjoyed just having a day out of the footy. Um, first and foremost, I want to... Just mention that I think St Kilda actually played very well. There's going to be a lot of um, commentary about what we did wrong, but um, it shouldn't get lost that they actually played very well. They forced us into a lot of errors. Their pressure was first rate. Um, they didn't sort of have to force us into as many errors as they did because we were just giving the ball ourselves. And that, I think, is the obvious bad. Um, there actually probably weren't even that many negatives as far as the Hawks are concerned, they were just really, really, really conspicuous and really, really um, uh, plentiful. So we had, I don't know how many, how many just basic skill errors and not, not from developing players either. Players like, you know, Blake Hardwick had a, had a mare. Um, so it wasn't as if it was necessarily put it down to just the young players developing. Um, so I couldn't really explain it. Um, but we really just, I guess you could say we made it easy for them to play very well. And you know that that um, Danny touched on it as well. Their, their conversion from inside 50 to score was off the charts, but that's not because our back six played poorly. It's because their entries were just walking it in um, from errors that had happened further up the ground. So, um, like I said, there probably wasn't that much that we did wrong. We just did it wrong consistently. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty key fundamental thing to get wrong, which is just not kicking a ball to the bloke that's wearing the same color jumper as you are. The other thing we got wrong, by the way, was shooting for goal. Um, Mitch Lewis kicked what one five at one stage and that, that 
just kills any chance of coming back. Um, but the damage really was just done with our skills. Uh, Brad, this is your sorry, yeah, Brad. What, what what do you want to add to that? And uh, try and keep it to a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I agree a lot with what Simon said. It was just the skill was just deplorable. I know you mentioned uh, Dillamore's. You know, the first thirty seconds of the game was great, but basically from there on, it was just a disaster. It was just all round. None of the lines clicked. Our younger players really struggled. I think they looked sore and are tired. Uh, Tom Mitchell actually had a, probably one of his better games. I thought he was our best, uh, one of our best players. Uh, Mitch Lewis was obviously our best. He kicked two goals, five. Could easily have kicked five or six. Um, but other than those two, everyone struggled. It was just all-round struggle. Simon touched on uh, Tim Hardwick. I don't think I've seen him play such a bad game in a very long time. Uh, just, yeah, fundamentals of uh, the game, basic skill and errors, I've managed to think about it a, a bit more. I've actually uh, watched uh, the highlights uh, back. There weren't too many, but it was just a struggle. It was disappointing because we've been so good the first three weeks. You know, we should have been really confident after the Carlton game, the final three quarters, but I think we might have just been uh, tied. So it's good, you know, that we don't play till uh, Monday, but I think the most important thing is going to be we'll know in the first two minutes of the Geelong game what's going to happen. I don't expect us to win, but if we play like we did the first three rounds, at least we'll be our competitive. And at the moment, that's all we can ask for, especially after the performance on Sunday afternoon. Bit of a theory going around that both Hawthorne and Carlton were really tired. Carlton were no better, really. They were pretty listless for most of their game against the Suns on the Gold Coast. And maybe... That game in warm weather uh, took a fair bit out of uh, both teams. Maybe we're clutching straws here a bit, but uh, that theory has made the rounds. We see you want to do something that's called a positive rant? Yeah, I seem to have taken a hell of a lot more out of the game than most other people. And, you know, I rudely. That's because you're a cow carrying Nuffy. Well, I'm usually the extreme. <laughs> pessimist i'm usually the one that is um you know the the whole world's burning down and where you know as negative as we could be i could be about us um i usually am but i interrupted you during our player review pod once we got to mitch lewis just to try and put this all in perspective and for me it was i know we possibly should have beat Carlton in the end and been three and oh but that is not where we're at as a group. And this notion all of a sudden that, you know, there aren't that many challenges to Melbourne and we could play finals and um, it was a game that we just didn't turn up to and it was just so disappointing on so many levels. I look at it and go, on top of all of the stuff that Prinzi talked about, Mitch Lewis had a kick straight, was incredible. Um, Will Day, granted he didn't play the second half, but he looked so good in the first half. McDonald and Ward are going to need to play 80, 90, 100 games before we're winning 15 games a year. And they need to know what it's like to lose by 70 points, to have days where they only get nine or 10 possessions. Reeves got the opportunity to see what it's like to ruck for 90% of the time in a game of footy. So in terms of what he's learned about his tank and 
what he's going to have to become if he wants to be our ruckman when he's 26, 27, 28 years old and our number one ruck. Like there are so many positives in my eyes to take out of the game. The end result was crap. Some of the ball movement, some of the um, disposal, some of the players were horrible. But overall, the experience is significant for everything that we're doing as a group. Darren, you're the one who's been at every game so far. This year, at least every game in Melbourne. Tell us about the fan experience. What was it like as a, as a day at the footy? Well, it was great because I got to meet Prinzi for the first time. So believe it or not, we've done all of these during COVID times and haven't met up in person yet. So that was that was an absolute highlight. I thought the fan experience was, on the whole, pretty good. I think the Hawks, um, as a home game, did a great job of revving up the crowd. Um only down spot was my daughter getting roasted by a friend of hers at halftime, St Kilda supporting friend of hers. Um, but she had a good comeback about how many flags St Kilda's won over the past <laughs> four decades. So, yeah, it was it was it was just great to be back at the G, and, and it was a beautiful day as well. So, just trying to take positives out of that. All right, let's go around. Why, why does she stop at four decades? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. What's up to twelve decades? Five, really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's go around. Uh, let's go around the panel. Uh, three, two, one, Weezy. Uh, I gave three to Mitch Lewis, two to Jai Newcomb, uh, and one to Titch. I thought he was our best mid. Uh, with special mentions to CJ and Sis. There's. Oh, I'm going to go three to Mitch. Just thought he was the best forward out there on the day, and had he been wearing number twelve and in a St Kilda jumper the media probably would have been all over that performance, took the best mark of the day and had worse service and kicked 3-5. So Mitch Lewis, um, daylights ahead of Jai Newcomb at two and then Sis at one. Bradley? Uh, Mitch Lewis, three. Jai Newcomb, two. And uh, Tom Mitchell, one. Uh, I thought Jack, I thought Scrimshaw played a really good game as well. He was unlucky not to get a vote especially playing Saw. Uh, I thought he was probably our best defender on the day. Mara? Yeah, I've actually got Scream at three. Um, Jai Newcomb, two, and CJ, one. Danny? Uh, travesty that Mitch Lewis isn't in your top three, Simon. That's um, that's that's very interesting. Uh, Lewis, three for me. Uh, and then I had uh, Mitchell, uh, no, Newcomb at two and um, James Sicily at one. I had Mitch. I had three Lewis, two uh, uh, Newcomb, one CJ. We probably should do a worst on ground as well when we when Hawthorne loses, and I'll I'll make that a regular segment from next week. But uh, it'll be a toss up between James at five possessions. I wear number five Warple and Jack Gunson at three possessions. Both had absolute uh, mares of a day. Brad. Uh, are they both safe for next week? Oh, Gunston is 100% safe. I reckon Warple is in a world of trouble, and I really fear for his spot on our, um, on our list come uh, 2023 and beyond. I reckon he's going to be – I reckon it's a big call, and it's it hurts me to say it, but there's no spot for him in the team. He's been overtaken by Josh Ward and probably Jai uh, Newcomb. We're going to see Ned Long play a few games in the coming weeks, I reckon. 
Uh, unfortunately for James Warple, his best position is in the centre of uh, the ground. He's been played as a forward. It's not his fault. He's just not a forward. He doesn't know where to run. He runs away from uh, uh, the ball. He can't kick. He doesn't kick goals. If he doesn't play as a midfielder, he needs. He has to go back uh, to Box Hill and play in the midfield for Box Hill, find the footy, get his 30 possessions, and hopefully he can earn his spot back in the side when there's an injury, you know, and when our youngsters are going to need a rest in the coming weeks. It's a big call. There'll probably be a few that are going to uh, disagree with me. He was 2019 Peter Clemens medal when Titch didn't play with his broken leg. But unfortunately, the midfield of Mitchell, O'Meara and Warple, which should be our best midfield, doesn't work. We're over two and a half years in on that experiment and it just doesn't work. So unfortunately, I think Warple is going to lose his spot. Uh, he does seem to play pretty well against uh, Geelong. He had that awesome uh, moment a couple of seasons ago with Selwood where he rode out uh, the bump and he set up a great goal for us. But unfortunately, unless uh, Josh Ward gets a rest, uh, I don't think Warple plays this week. I think either Liam Shields comes in for him or uh, Ned Long's going to make his uh, debut for us. We'll get to a bit more selection down the track. One of the beauties of uh, Sunday NCGFs, the, the high point was it uh, was a curtain raiser, but Box Hill actually played in the old-fashioned days like the reserves playing before the scene. It's much different, of course, when the game finishes about an hour before uh, the AFL game starts or whatever the, the, the uh, time was. I was in the uh, Percy Beans bar for most of the last quarter of the Box Hill game. I want to know, uh, Danny, the should there be more curtain raisers at the at the uh, at the AFL involving VFL games, or is it a bit of a something that a lot of the, the a very very small number of supporters cry out for to have curtain raisers when really most people just don't want to get to the footy these days an hour and a half two hours before to watch to watch the VFL team going around. And what did you and just give us a quick run through of uh, Box Hill on the day. Yeah, um, so I like the idea of curtain raiser. I mean, I probably wouldn't go to most of them, but um, I saw the second half of uh, of this game at uh, at the ground. So uh, and was just sort of keeping an eye on it as as we were eat, eating some food and having a couple of beverages. So it was great, um, and it's been a long time. I remember um, going to curtain raisers at Waverley Park uh, back in the day, but. Um, yeah, I, I thought I think it's great, and it's a great experience for these VFL listed players and the young AFL listed players just to get the opportunity to play at the MCG before they make their AFL debut. So I think it sort of better prepares them, and I think like um, I'll talk on a couple of of our young younger players and and the game for Box Hill, but um, playing on a ground the size of the MCG is completely different to playing on a ground the size of Box Hill City Oval. Um, and for somebody like <clears throat> Connor Downey, he will thrive in the space that the MCG offers on the wings. And, um, and it's a great exposure for him to play a couple of games at the MCG before, you know, he hopefully plays consistently for the Hawks. So um, I think there's only positives to playing curtain raises, and I think they should do it more often uh, where they can. Um in terms of the game, uh, it was nice to see Box Hill get a win after an 0-2 start coming in. Um, there's still issues there with Box Hill with the lack of a recognised Ruckman, and I think this is going to be something I um, beat the drum on um, week in, week out until probably the mid-season draft when inevitably they'll draft a young Ruckman who can um, come in and compete 
uh, or or Big Boy and Max Lynch come back in and um, they, you know, only play two of them at AFL level and we finally get a Ruckman at Box Hill. But um, Jalen Thorpe and uh, a couple of others had stints in the Ruck for Box Hill and got absolutely murdered in the hitouts by Tom Campbell. But the Hawks midfield unit was a bit better this week and was able to break even um, with uh, Sandringham. And a lot of that was to do with um, new father, Liam Shields, who came back in and played his first um, VFL game for a long, long time. Uh, He had 27 touches and was was very good. Eight tackles as well, which is what you want. Um, He was really well supported by Tom Phillips, who had uh, a lot of it as well. Um, same problems though with Phillips and in to a lesser extent, um, Liam Shields is they're just not great users of the footy. Um, but what I was, who I was really impressed with, uh, was Ned Long again, uh, only had 15 touches. Um, eight, eight of those were kicks, seven handballs, but, uh, he had 10 tackles and six of those were in the first quarter when the heat was really on. Uh, and he also had four inside 50. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the sameness of our midfield. Well, with Long being 194 centimetres, um, really physically well-developed for an 18, 19-year-old kid, kid and uh, having great endurance, um, you have to think um, the wait can't be much longer longer um, before we see him at uh, AFL level. Um, I don't think, I disagree with Brad, I don't think the Hawks will debut Long uh, on Easter Monday. I don't think they'll even consider it. I think they'll bring in Liam Shields, but I think they'll also keep James Warple in the team because they'll want um, AFL hardened bodies. Um, but I think if you uh, look to the couple of weeks post the Easter Monday game, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ned Long uh, get a get a Guernsey. So um, he was good. It was good to see Connor Downey back. Um, he had 13 touches. Four inside 50s and four rebound 50s, which um, talk about his work rate up and down the ground. Um, we saw a bit more of Jai Sarong, who wasn't as impactful, but still did some good things. And uh, we saw a bit of uh, Sam Butler, um, who kicked a goal, had nine touches and uh, and four tackles as well. So there were a few, um, few highlights there, but there's also a, quite a few Hawthorne listed players that didn't get a game. Um, yeah, Jacob Kaczynski, Emerson Jecker. Kaczynski um, played for a minute, then he got an eye injury. Got oh, is that what that eye. was? Okay, yeah, well, there you go. So I missed the why. first minute, so that's why. Um, so we, effectively, we didn't see him. Uh, we saw we didn't see Emerson Jecker. We didn't see Seamus Mitchell, Tyler Brockman. Um, Fiona O'Hara still hasn't played for Box Hill, which is an interesting one, Ash. And I know you um, thought that if there was a Box Hill reserves, he'd probably be playing there. Uh, but I don't know what their plan is with him. Um, so there's there's still quite a few uh, guys uh, that aren't playing regularly at Box Hill that you would hope to see playing at Box Hill. Yeah. But all in all, it was good to get uh, a, a pretty decent win uh, and they have the bye next week. So um, it was nice to get one in the win column before uh, before the first bye of the season. Um, injury update, uh, I guess because they've been playing all these Sunday games, the club hasn't got around to formally putting in its injury update yet. But I did notice that uh, Josh Gavowich from AFL.com seems to be getting the, uh, getting the early mail from uh, the Hawthorne medical people. He seemed to indicate that, um, that Chad Wingard probably won't play this week. Um, I still think they haven't got the full assessment yet of his um, 
of his calf injury. So that was the main takeaway from the story he wrote based on last week. The injury report probably dropped some time tomorrow. It used to be mandatory to be done by Tuesday night. I don't know whether Hawthorne are getting grace because of the Sunday games or what it is, but uh, that was a main bit of news there. So that so I think it'll be out day concussion, not getting um, and not getting um, Chad back. So it'll be a little bit thin on the ground, I think for the John game, and yeah, it probably does open up for uh, at least one of Shields or Phillips to come in into the side to have a little bit of experience. Um, now, I want to, uh, uh, for name, you've got a question. Good evening. Name? Hello? Hey, guys, how are you? Good, mate. What's um, happening? would he play this week on Tom Hawkins? I don't think he will. I'm not sure that um, – I think, in fact, when Hardigan's going to uh, – Hawkins is going to play and probably kick four or five no matter who plays. I think they're going to really try to see whether the back, the back line in with their structure to um, to limit the supply. It's going to be tough because we've got Jeremy Cameron running around as well. Brad, uh, uh, what do you think, Brad? No, I can't see Hardigan playing. I don't think – he hasn't played for Box Hill, I think. Oh, the – did he play? Weeks. I don't know if he's played yeah, for a couple it's of weeks. been a couple of weeks, so he might be carrying an injury. I don't think he's match fit. It's a good question because he probably is the only person on our list who's physically strong enough to play on Tom Hawkins. But as uh, yeah, uh, Ash said, and we've seen in the last few weeks, Tom Hawkins is pains uh, me to say, but he's just getting better with age. He's just a, he's just a, a very very good footballer. Rarely plays a bad game. He kicks at least two goals a game. And unfortunately, he's going to kick. Even if he plays poorly, he's probably going to get enough chances to kick four or five. So it doesn't matter who plays on him. I think Frost can do a good enough job. I think our backline system the first uh, you know, Sunday uh, wasn't great. But I think as a unit, they've actually been playing pretty well. Sicily can play sort of that third man up in uh, the play in between. But, you know, we've got Jeremy Cameron uh, to worry about as well. Uh, Radical Leah, I don't know if he's going to be back or not. Um, Doubtful. Yeah, so they're not going to probably play the three talls. Um, I know Stanley can go forward. I think Reeves uh, will be good enough to play on him. I think he's not a great uh, ruckman. But, yeah, their forward line is probably going to get enough opportunities to kick a winning score. So we really do lack that key defender. DGB will become that player in probably three or four years' time. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, they, they're going to have to rely on a system uh, defence, which worked well the first three weeks. But so, uh, question for the panel, without notice, if I may, uh, are Hardigan's papers stamped? Like, the, obviously, there's the injury factor you just mentioned, Brad, and this would be the game that he would be most primed for. We've talked in the past about Geelong and West Coast, and but not starting round one uh, and, you know, you look at the performance on the weekend, is, is that it? Are we going to see barely no Cole Hardigan and, and that's it for his career at the end of the year? I think so. I'm going to go, yeah, I don't think he'll be on our list next year. I think he will get a few. I think they'll give him a farewell game. I know he's only been on the list a couple of years, but as a clubman, uh, he's really strong. Uh, you know, people speak really highly of him. Seems like a good uh, mentor for the younger players. So I think we'll see him the last, you know, he'll play one or two games at the end of the year, but I don't think he'll be on our list in 2023. No. And I think he has a contract. I think he has a contract for next year, just quietly. 
Oh, there you go. Because I was going to say definitely contracted. Is... I thought he was out the end of this year. No, I'm pretty sure it's the end of next. Well, uh, delicit free agent signing a three year contract is unheard of. If even even if he does have a year left to run of his contract, if he's not playing all season, do you think there'd be another club interested in him? Like he's still got a few years of footy left, like we saw with Frawley getting picked up. Do you think there'd be a, a club interested in approaching him and, and trying to get him to move to a third club? That's a discussion for when we do October. Let's move on. Well, <laughs> I think with, with Hardigan, though, surely we need a, a depth player like that because we get an injury to one of our key backs and then who, who have we got? And I think we're in a similar position with the Rucks now. Um, so I don't mind him staying on the list just as that depth player that can come in. We'll discuss Cole Hardigan a bit later on. Uh, we, this is, uh, we're, we're stalling. We're talking about him, uh, his list place for next year. Um, does anybody want to prosecute, uh, prosecute the case that Patrick Ryder was stiff for getting two weeks for his uh, contact with Will Day? That sadly will keep Will Day out of um, Easter Monday. Two weeks was way too harsh. I think one would have been fair. Uh, it's the inconsistency of other tribunal. I get like he should have been suspended, but two weeks for that. And then you look at what Ben Brown did in the VFL. He got two down to one. Willie Rioli at earlier in uh, the year. I know Simon's got an opinion on that, but uh, two weeks was way too many. If that was James Sicily, our supporters would be going absolutely nuts. So I think um, it's unfortunate for Will. Um, he seems to be that type of player who just can't get a run at it because every time he seems to cop a knock, it seems worse than if it was anyone else. He gets a concussion now. You know, he's had his ankle problems. He just seems to have that frame where, unfortunately, at the moment, he cops a knock, he misses weeks. And this will hurt him because he's going to miss a game. He might miss two games. It'll take him another couple of weeks to get back into it again. Ready again, you know, by the time he's at his peak again uh, this season, it's going to be around seven or eight. So back on to Ryder, I think two was harsh. Others might disagree. I think he deserved one. Now, St Kilda lost me when they when they argued against it. Um, I initially thought, you know, the al- that you put it in the algorithm and careless high and high comes out as two. And it seems like it's a little bit a little bit harsh. But they they lost me when they went to the tribunal and essentially argued that he was standing there bracing for contact and it was kind of Will Day ran at him. Um, and they almost basically blamed Will Day for his own concussion. And if you have a look at the, um, I know it doesn't tell the full story, but there there is a freeze frame going around. Well, Will Day's begun his kicking motion and, and Paddy Wright is not even on the screen. And for them to say that he was standing still and bracing is chutzpah of the highest order. And um, on account of that, I'm not upset that he's going to miss two. I sympathise with Ryder because you see straight away, like he he goes to check if he's all right. And like, I don't think there was any specific malice intended whatsoever. However, he chose to bump it wasn't even a split second he he literally had time made the choice to brace and put his shoulder out and the rules are the rules so he's going to get suspended maybe two is harsh but under the letter of the law that's 
exactly what it says. I think, Ash, you were saying it's pretty hard to argue down from uh, any of the uh, specifics given yeah, careless, in terms of the Careless charge. contact, high impact, high contact. I don't understand... Uh... I, fact, I don't understand. Fact, 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 tick, tick, tick. Yeah, um, and then also Will Day, which is yeah, probably should have, should have gone four. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we sadly won't see Will uh, next week. Sakilda won't see for Paddy Ryder for two weeks. That's their problem to deal with. And it's a shame because from a Sakilda perspective because when he and Marshall play together, they've got some ridiculously high winning percentage and uh, they're a very good ruck tandem and hope to say it, the Saints might be right this year. So... Uh, I actually would like to see them do quite well. But uh, anyway, the draw for round 10 and 11 is out. Uh, long overdue for those who said it should have been out, or the schedule for rounds 10 and 11, more to the point, um, has been released. A lot of noise from the AFL Fans Association that should just be done at the start of the year. We might discussion at another time whether the fixture should come out at the start of the year and just be locked in stone. From a Hawthorne perspective, both games outside Melbourne anyway, so I guess... Um, for, for the Tasmanian and the fans of Northern Territory. Uh, Hawthorne, Brisbane, uh, the round 10 game is a Sunday afternoon, 20 past three. It's a Channel 7 game, which is good for the club uh, financially because it's more exposure for the sponsors. So that club will be pleased with that. And Hawthorne won the last two against Brisbane. So that should be a competitive, and it's always a, usually a competitive game when the Hawks have playing down in Tassie with a strong team. So that should be a good game. And then they head six days later. So that's been a bit of a tough turnaround. Two, two games outside Melbourne in six days. We talk about team turnover, Brad. There'll be a bit of turnover when they play Melbourne off a five-day break. And I think there'll be a bit of team t- turnover for this one as well when they t- travel on a six-day break to Darwin to play Gold Coast for the Surioli Cup. That'll be at Terrio Stadium, 10 past seven Darwin time, which I think is 10, 20 to eight. Melbourne time, also on Channel 7. So, again, a good outcome, at least commercially for Hawthorne, that these two back-to-back games played outside Victoria are at least on free-to-air TV. But surprising, actually, that um, it m- must be perhaps it's a uh, requirement with the Northern Territory government because there's a West Coast-Western Bulldogs game on at the same time on round 11, which I thought would be better. you think for the neutral spectator, probably a better game than Gold Coast-Hawthorne, but there you go. So... Bit to look forward to with the Hawks, uh, at least some good free-to-air exposure. Uh, we've got a little bit of it coming up. Certainly the game against Geelong on Monday is a Channel 7 uh, staple every year. So that's a fixture. Any thoughts on that, anyone, before we move on? I couldn't have scripted it any better. The club's right to uh, the AFL making their requests. I'd like to thank the AFL for uh, taking my written request. That's... Um, the 28th and 29th of May, it's actually my son's bar mitzvah. So commitments Friday yeah. night, commitments all Saturday, commitments all Sunday, the one slot that was free across the whole weekend, Saturday night. So uh, broke the news to him and he's ecstatic because that is now on the agenda for the weekend. So very happy in this house. Uh, well, Mazel Tov ahead of the 28th and 29th of, uh, of May and... Uh... We'll have to get uh, get Ethan on to give us a little preview before uh, on, on the uh, pod. <laughs> he can do his partial for us before uh, he test drive it on us before the big the big day. Um, now the Surioli story uh, continues to tick along. Um, Leon Egan, who we 
thought we might be able to get to come on the podcast. Instead, uh, I don't know why you do that. I mean, the reach is far greater on Hawks Insiders than to talk to Caroline Wilson in the age. But that's the path he chose to go down. Uh, that was an interesting story. Certainly, um, certainly the club um, didn't come out of that looking a million dollars. And having had the good fortune of being in the Hawthorne rooms after each of the three premierships, of the three-peat, in fact, yeah, and where there's so you cannot swing a cap in there. There's so many people, and every single hanger-on in the world makes his way down there. If the club could not find room for a guy who was clearly important part of the club to a certain to a, to a group of players, if the club could not find him a dressing room pass after a win that after winning a premiership. Uh, even if you only worked one day a week, is a it's an indictment on those who made the decision. And whoever made that decision, I hope, uh, is no longer with the club because and it's not uh, the tip. It may or may not have been the tipping point for Leo and Egan to leave, but it didn't paint the club in a very good light. Um, but I thought that was an illuminating interview with your your friend, Danny. Yeah, I think it. Um... Leon's a, a fantastic guy and 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 does a lot for Indigenous communities, and I think just. Um to see how well regarded he is by the Indigenous guys at our club and in the AFL in general for the Hawks um, to treat him, I guess, with the lack of respect that they did uh, is just really sad, I think. And you don't, regardless of, of his cultural background or identity, you just don't treat your club people like that. And he was an, a paid employee of the club. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, it's a bit of an indictment on the club that, that that's gone down the way it has and maybe not as surprising. I think, you know, he, his comment saying they were so busy winning premierships that they sort of um, didn't, didn't really think to consider um, some of the cultural stuff um, is not an excuse, but I think probably is close to the truth is when you're winning premierships, it can paper over the cracks. Um, and, you know, just because your on-field product is 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 going well doesn't mean your off-field product is as well. So um, the Hawks need to make sure that that sort of stuff that happened back in those times doesn't happen again. And uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that they lost the services of of Leon. Hopefully, um, with some guidance, um, Brady Gray can do a fan, fantastic job uh, in that space and help to build rebuild some of the bridges that have been broken. Um, you know, in that in that area, and especially with uh, in the long term with Cyril and his wife. And Hawthorne is now sort of almost the centre of the media culture wars because while the uh, the Age was prosecute continues to prosecute the case of the deep issues at Hawthorne, and a lot of this is Hawthorne's fault. Mark Robinson speaks to Michael Long in the Herald Sun, and um, we have a was a quite disturbing story in some ways. I mean, it's a story that painted the club in a better light than some of the commentary going around because it seemed to say that Cyril, a lot of the, much of the problem is with Cyril. Um, he had some linen, uh, family linen that I wouldn't have been comfortable with and I, th- I thought Michael, as a relative, even if there are issues within the family, I was surprised and at this point he chose to air them. Um, but the, the gist of the... A, the Herald Sun story is that uh, Cyril has got uh, that much of the problems of Cyril's own volition, I guess, is one way, one takeaway from that. I was disturbed reading it. Um, if you're wearing your total 
um, Hawthorne hat for one second, you would say, well, yeah, it backs up some of the things the club's been saying that it had. It's been making a lot of overtures and reasonable overtures have been rejected. But as a big fan of Cyril um, Daz, what did you make of uh, Robbo's article? If you read it, I know it was behind a paywall, so if you didn't read it, let me know. But uh, did you see it? I didn't. I didn't read that one. But look, I, I agree with you, Ash. I think it's just a. a it was a sad story, or, or, or what I know of that story, and didn't think that that was the right forum to, you know, to bring up those family issues. But it doesn't actually solve a lot of the things or absolve the club of any of the issues that Leon Egan spoke to Caroline Wilson about or some of Jeff's conduct in the past. So, you know, I take that story with with a bit of a grain of salt and I think there's still a lot of issues that need to be fixed regardless of of Cyril's personal situation with his family. So There's no question about that. Certainly... um, as I wrote in the uh, spaces, um, Jeff Kennett's address at the the reported remarks from Jeff Kennett at his president's lunch on Sunday were it was a different sound than Jeff, very contrite, I thought, and and uh, yeah, different. Didn't seem to be the Jeff Kennett who who dismisses uh, dismisses matters out of hand or thinks he has an answer to everything. So I think it's been a it's been a humbling exercise, I think, for a lot of people at the footy club and, and, and for the president. And it doesn't change my opinion that Jeff needs to go as soon as possible after June thirtieth. But it was a uh, I don't know who that what the background noise is. But it's certainly been an uh, interesting time for the club. Uh, Brad, you got any thoughts on all of this? Uh, similar to you guys, uh, it's just the whole situation is just uh, sad. That's as I said a few weeks ago uh, when it all came out. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Ash. Um, I don't think the forum was correct for Michael uh, Long. There's obviously family problems, um, you know, that we're probably going to start to hear about in the coming uh, weeks. I know he mentioned in the article that they haven't spoken in uh, four years. So, you know, there's obviously a lot going on behind uh, the scenes then. But like uh, Daz said, that article doesn't change what happened and the problems that the club had during the you know Cyril's period of time there, and we, we are hopefully I know Jeff wrote his uh, letter to the members last week where you know he spoke about the performance against Carlton first, and then he went into the issues how the club's going to investigate and all that stuff. So hopefully they do, but I just fear what we're going to get from the you know uh, investigation is not going to be enough to satisfy us and a lot of fellow supporters. There are obviously many who support the club, maybe not Jeff, but still support the club in the situation and will be happy you know, with the uh, investigation that takes place. But I fear it's not going to be as in-depth as we all hope it will be. I hope I'm wrong. Kane Corns on Footy Classified last night was banging the drum once again about the midfield. He raised probably valid points that... There are too many like-minded players in the Hawthorne midfield. Is one solution? I just want to throw this around for a couple of minutes. I know it's sort of banned this discussion before, but I think this one's more relevant to the discussion now because it's uh, it affects the team as it stands at the moment. Just for one for general discussion for a couple of minutes. Would a radical move at Hawthorne at the end of the year to be to trade out one of these many sort of halfback flankers which they've got, and they can't all seem to play in the team at the same time? Would you trade out an impy or someone like that? To get in a different type of midfielder, someone who's a different, who, who adds a different look and feel to the midfield, is that something the Hawk, uh, something that the Hawks should consider, Weezy? 
I don't think there will be anything off the table, but oh, I, I think we've known for quite some time the last few years about our midfield issues. So we're four weeks into a new era, era with Sammy and with Robert Harvey, who spoke so well in his post-match interview again on top of his um, little coaching video from the week previous. So you listen to him speak, you know, we've got this faith in Sammy. They're four weeks in. So they've got a fair amount of time to work out um, best rotations, who belongs, who doesn't. You look at the heat maps of Jager and and Tommy Mitchell from the weekend and, and they played so much time in the middle, whereas Warpal was up forward. It's a good question about half back. It's traditionally a spot that you put someone that you want to get the a bit of the ball and a bit of confidence and run into their play. And I think about the first half of the season, last season, and even when we um, when we streamed and you called Ash the practice match against the Dogs and, like, he was brought in as a winger, Lockie Bramble, uh, spent the first half of the season playing, you know, um, at Box Hill on a wing. And when we got the injuries, he got put behind the ball and that's where he got his confidence and, and and dash and flair. Obviously, everyone can't play there. I just think there's going to be so much rotation while they're still trying to work out who fits where. It's way too early to make judgment calls on who's going to be part of the core midfield in 24 months' time. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, we've seen six quarters from Bramble and Day, um, who I would say are midfielders as much as halfbackers. Um, and they are that extra speed, that extra dimension to our midfield. Um, and in the, in any rate, there's no reason why we would necessarily need to trade. If you've got players that are quick off halfback and you want to trade them for someone who's quick to play in the midfield, why, why don't you just play them in the midfield? Surely we could just adapt them instead of having to trade them out. I was thinking more of a different shape in the midfield, and but we don't have these sort of tall... I mean, try and Connor Nash, but I think some of the WhatsApp groups just speculate. I think like, that might be a better Connor Nash. There might be a better version of Connor Nash out there that I'm trying to find somewhere. But, uh... Better version of Connor Nash? Are you mad? <laughs> the Ruckman. Yeah. I'm just throwing it up for, as a discussion point. Uh, we've got about 12, 13 minutes to go. Um Gil McLaughlin stepping down as AFL Chief Executive after eight years. Not really a Hawthorne uh, topic as such, but I'm interested in the views as to what he's been, uh, how you've rated his performance as CEO of the AFL, Daz. Oh, look, I think anyone who can get us out of the mess that was, you know, the the first year of the pandemic and then, the mess that was the lockdowns in Melbourne last year and nationwide and, and, and kind of keep the league rolling, I just take my hat off to him. And it obviously took a personal toll because he was just looking like warmed up death at some of those press conferences towards the end. And um, I just wish him all the best. I really thank him for, you know, I can't agree with everything that he did, but just to, to, to get us going and to keep the AFL going and keep footy on the TV, um, it, it, it saved me a bit, um, definitely, the past couple of years. So just thank him for that. 
Ash, can you elaborate on that a bit more? Like you had a massive insight, obviously, writing the book, a, a season like no other. So you would know better than anyone just how significant his role was in getting the AFL through. Well, he couldn't be across everything because there was just so much to do. He certainly empowered his... Um his key officials, but they were the key decision. They had to get the banks on side. They had to get the play. The first one was the players, and that was a negotiation he ran with Paul Marsh. It was getting a bit sidetracked. It was it got very nasty very quickly. And basically, he and Paul Marsh, after three or four days, said, "This is enough." Took uh, them to private Zoom chat somewhere, and more or less thrashed out the details of the new pay deal uh, in a matter of about twenty about twenty four forty eight hours. They knocked. I think it was a Friday. The footy shut down on the Sunday, and I think by the Friday, the pay deal had been uh, more or less announced. Uh, and that was pretty significant. But he certainly had um, Ray Gunston uh, doing the banks, um, and he had Travis Old working for clubs. And he really sort of empowered different people, and then people like uh, Pat Clifton is not there anymore, and Judy Donnelly and others to work with the government um, to, to, to get the key thing done. And Kylie Rogers who's an absolute dark horse to be uh, his replacement, by the way. Someone, if you if you can bet on these things and you want to put a lazy 10 on Kylie Rogers, it wouldn't be the worst idea just to have a bit of a interest in it. You get, you'll get a good result. Um, she's head of commerce. And at the time during a pandemic when business in Australia was um, struggling in a lot of ways, she managed to get more sponsorship to the AFL, in, through the AFL's door. So don't discount that. So that was Gil's real strength, to bring people along for the journey. Certainly, you know, Gil was my, you know, several layers above me, but he was my boss for about five, six years, and he's a fantastic manager of people, and the AFL was a great place to work. Um, he had a lot of care and empathy for his, for the people who worked there in, in the time that I was there. So having to you know, put 80% of people onto JobKeeper and then not bring everyone back when the game resumed again uh, would have been very, very difficult for him because he's, he's a great people person. And you're right, you can tell over the course of the year, and we're talking to people about Gil for the book, how, how worn out he became and how gaunt he started to look. And he even says himself he was living on a diet of bolognese sauce from the freezer and Uber Eats, uh, a half-hour run every day and a beer at night and a few bets on a weekend, and that's why he, and he, he packed his family off to the farm. So that's how he got through most of the uh, – that's how he got through running the game through his darkest times. So I think he's been a, a great, great leader of the game. I think um, he, he. it's clear he loves the game. Oh, he, I reckon even though Andrew Demetrio was a league footballer, um, of all the AFL CEOs that I've known or, or have observed, he had a deeper love of the game than anybody else. I mean, he's you know he's happy wandering around the boundary of the Pram Juniors on a Sunday marking the lines. He's in love, and he was a great play, you know, great amateur player himself. So he'll be he'll be missed as the AFL CEO. I think he's a super job. So many legacies. Um, AFLW is one uh, running the game through the pandemic is another and from the press conference today he's been, <laughs> he's been left half a dozen big ticket items he's got to tick off before he finishes up which is a meteorites deal Tassie a new CBA uh, a new club funding agreement that's four and there might be one or two others as well so he's got a lot to get through before he finishes up and the, the battle to be his replacement will be really interesting um, it is probably a race a race in three, I mean, Kylie Rogers, Stuart Fox, uh, Xavier Campbell probably have less a cup of coffee with the 
headhunters and I said, Kylie Rogers, because she's a woman, she's been so well at the AFL, but they'd love to see whether she's a, a finalist. But it's probably racing three between Brendan Gale um, and Travis Old and Andrew Dillon, who's been the consigliere for, for Gill these last seven years. If, if Dills puts his hand up, then uh, he'd be very hard to beat because he's the he, he his finger prints are across everything at the AFL. Travis Old has had broadcasting clubs and finances, and they've been three big ticks for him because they've come through the pandemic really well. Brennan Gale, members of the biggest club in the country, and everything he said he'd do at Richard, he's done, and he's got that background as a PA from having been a player and also having run the Players Association as well. So I think the I think the game would be in really capable hands of any of them. Um, look forward to seeing how it plays out over the next six months. Um, I was going to say Craig Tiley was a, uh, a outside candidate as well, Brad, uh, but then I'm not sure that uh, the Novak Djokovic situation probably helped him all that much. But he would have been an interesting person from outside footy, don't you think? Absolutely. But uh, with uh, the AFL, I know you mentioned a few names before, they usually like to hire uh, internally people that have been there for a while. I know Gil, I can correct if I'm wrong, Ash, I'm pretty sure he started as... GM of commercial in about 2003 or four. Yeah, he was a strategy. Yeah. He was strategy planning before that. He came across from one of the yeah, Anderson Consulting or Deloitte to one of those. Yeah, so he was at the AFL for you know nearly 20, uh, probably at over 20 years from when he first started there. Yeah, I know a lot of the guys internally they like to you know uh, promote him in internally. So I'd be very surprised if it was an external person. I know Craig Tiley. Uh, I know he had his problems with uh, Novak, but he's been uh, a brilliant administrator for Australia. But I can't see that happening. It'll be one of those few you mentioned before. I reckon uh, Travis Old would probably be favourite at the moment. Uh, Kylie Rogers, as you mentioned before, she has done a brilliant job the last few years, spoken about really uh, highly. Um, So I reckon it'd be one of those two. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be an interesting process. I think they'll look to have an announcement sometime during the finals, and I think Gil's last day at work will be uh, grand final day. I think that'll be he'll draw the curtains then, and I'll be I'm going to see what he does afterwards as well. He's got a few better to do whatever he likes. Apparently, he's ruled himself out of the Brisbane Com- uh, Brisbane Olympic Games um, job, which he was he's been approached to consider standing for, but uh, he would have done a brilliant job there. But I'm not sure that. Uh, the polo uh, clubs in Brisbane would be to his liking. So I think he's going to stay uh, in the southern part of the country. Ash, a quick one. Um, is calling the Brownlow a part of the process there? For the job, yeah. The, 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 the headhunters get him around uh, and they have to call six rounds. They do a mock Brownlow call <laughs> for six months to see uh, to see how they go. That's absolutely a big part of the uh, It's a big part it of the job as well. It should be the number one criteria, I think. It should be the... Yeah. Yeah, key criteria. The only big black mark at Gill's AFLX, I think. Otherwise, he gets a he gets a strong pass mark from me for most of the stuff that he's done. Brad, was sort of- I just quickly like to echo what Darren said. I also found um, twenty twenty was really challenging, and to be able to have the footy just something that I really really love be so reliable in it, and I have it on every night. Um, I was was something I was very thankful for. Oh, I think most people. I think the. Uh, Footy Frenzy was a, a brilliant idea, one that can't be uh, replicated during peacetime as we are now. I guess we're getting close to peacetime or post-pandemic time, but uh, it was a brilliant idea in 2020 and it did get us all through um, 
some really lean times, and they actually kept people off the street. I mean, that was the government, Victorian government loved it because having a game of footy on every night meant people weren't going out and trying to break the, the curfew. So it was an inspired idea for a lot of reasons. Brad, we've been, uh, I mean, you're, you're right more in depth about this in the next couple of days, and we've touched on it already. Are you expecting carnage at selection, or do you think Sam Mitchell, this is the first time he's had to deal with a heavy loss? And Danny, I'm not sure Box even got thrashed last year in the games he coached Box Hill. This might be the first time as a as the senior coach of any club that he's had to deal with a big loss. Do you think we'll see carnage at selection, or do you think he's going to back in a team that for the first few weeks of the season played pretty well? I think he's going to back them in. Uh, I think he's going to be interested to see how they go post the thrashing for the first time. As I mentioned before, the youngsters did look tired, but I think having the game on a Monday is going to help with uh, their recovery. We are obviously going to see a couple of changes. Uh, Max Lynch is hopefully fully fit with uh, post-COVID. He obviously had the concussion, then unfortunately came down with COVID. He'll need a play. Will Day is obviously going to go out. So there will be a couple of changes. I don't think it'll be carnage. I think we'll probably see three changes. I think Danny was right. I'd love to see uh, Long come in, but I think it'll be Shields. I think Lynch and Shields and probably Phillips will play. Uh, obviously, Will Day will go out. I think Danny reckons uh, Warper will hold his spot. I think he's going to get dropped. And I think uh, Dan Howe might be might uh, be dropped as well. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's frustrating. Monday, we won't see the final team until Saturday night or Sunday, whenever they finalise yeah, it. about 5pm on Saturday, I think the final team will be named. Yeah, so we'll find out a bit more then. But yeah, I'm fascinated to see how... I mean, Sam was... He was... He was inwardly seething, I thought, at the media conference, but managed to hide it pretty well. But I think he was pretty shitty with what he saw. And I think you're right, Robert Harvey in that interview alluded to that as well, that uh, there's a lot of displeasure with a lot of what they saw on um, Saturday. Sam's talking tomorrow, so it's gonna be, uh, it'll be cool to see what he um, what he's, has to say three or four days after the game. Beck Goddard's talking as well tomorrow. Whether that is just because she's Beck Goddard and... It's her first chance to speak publicly since starting full-time at the club or whether the club is making one or two big announcements before then uh, from a personal point of view. Interesting news, and I know, uh, unfortunately, Fiona Lawson can't be with us at the moment, who's our uh, AFLW expert, although Emma Race will join us probably in a couple of weeks when the Hawks have made some signings. She's going to come back on and have another chat to us. Emily Bates, who won the AFLW Best and Fairest, has been linked to Hawthorne. Uh, has anybody got any thoughts or mail on that? I'm ex- I mean, it, it, it's a marquee signing, and I think we need one. We've, we've, we've brought in a couple of young young guns, and I think we need someone to build a team around. So uh, would absolutely welcome that. And, yeah, just just be great to get a few big names in just to, to kick things off. There will be big names. We just don't know who they're going to be. Certainly Maddie Prisparkis-Weston and Georgia G as well from Carlton is a big story, and the Swans have pinched a couple from... Um, across town at GWS. But uh, Hawthorne will get some big names. I just haven't announced them yet, but I'm intrigued to see whether the plans to drop a big name or two tomorrow morning and then have that guy I talk about it with Sam uh, late in the morning. For more reports, Sam's actually been a bit involved in the... Uh, I don't know if he finds a time, but he's uh, been a little bit involved in some of the uh, in some of the uh, list management and a bit of recruiting for the AFLW team. Okay, so 
before we finish up, I'm just quickly go around the table. As I say, bite everybody. Does anybody give Hawthorne? Will anyone want to prosecute the case for Hawthorne beating Geelong on Monday? We see. No, I said that I'm very optimistic about things, but certainly not optimistic enough to say that we're going to beat Geelong. I think we'll. Um, oh, hopefully, we come out with um, with a bit of intent um, and go hard at the ball, but. I think will be accounted for pretty easily, which is not an issue as long as we get enough positives and see how some of the kids go on the big stage. It's exciting for them. Des, if you asked me this question in round uh, after the loss against the Blues, I think I would say that we're in with a shot. Uh, you know what? I still do, and I still think that we'll be able that they're not going to be be able to contain our run off half back and if we can contain their key forwards who knows Brad uh, absolutely no uh, chance Daz I'm sorry uh, this is going to be one of those games where we could lose by 30 or 40 points and it won't um, really uh, matter as long as we show good signs Geelong is the best team we are going to come up against in the first, you know, probably six or seven rounds of uh, the season. Uh, we beat North and Port, who, in hindsight, you know, they were good wins, but they're going to probably be two bottom four sides this year, bottom five sides. The Carlton game was fantastic for three quarters. As long as what uh, Weesey said, we come out and show intent from uh, the start, uh, that's all that uh, matters. We just had to play the same way we played the first few rounds. Uh, but I reckon best case scenario, we uh, we lose this game by four or five goals. Morris, Isaac Smith, cheer or cheer? Um, Isaac Smith is going to have a shot after the siren um, and he'll push it a bit right, so we're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Uh, Danny, any chance? No, we're not. We're not really. If we're realistic, um, the only thing that might save us is the fact that Geelong-Hawthorne games, regardless of how the teams are going, generally are quite competitive. So hopefully this is one of those games and um, and the boys give a good account of themselves. But like, I think, I think, you know, the first two rounds were great and they were exciting and it's nice to have wins. But like Weesey said, and um, Daz and I talked about this uh, on the weekend at the footy as well, um, we we need to be realistic and it's fine. We don't need to come out and win every week. Um, we just want to see development into our young guys, uh, execution of the game plan. If the skills or the inexperience let us down every now and then, that's okay. As long as we're seeing, you know, some of these incremental improvements over the course of the year, then, then I'll be okay. And I'm sure most Hawk supporters will be too. As always, we finish with the voice of reason, the most sensible one of all of us, Danny. So thank you for summing that up. That has been the Hawks Insider Safe Space for this week. It is a great time of year. It is Easter. Happy Easter. It is Passover. Happy Passover. It is. Well, it will be later in the week. It is also um, Ramadan. So uh, for those who observe Ramadan, I hope it is all going swimmingly as well. Um, I think it's the Hindu festival as well. I might have one of those. It's an unbelievable time of the year for everybody. Um, 
we'll look forward to seeing all the MCG on Monday uh, as the Hawks play. What is it? Their annual grand final goes too long. And I think it will be competitive. I think something about the day that brings out the best in Hawthorne usually does anyway. So last year, they nearly pinned, they, a very inferior Hawthorne team almost pinched against a pretty strong Geelong team. So I think they'll bounce back. Not sure they'll win, but I think they will give a very good account of themselves. So that has been it. We're going to stick with this. Tuesday night for at least another week, trying to sort things out, but it suits us best for next week to do it Tuesday, so we're going to do it again, uh, which will be barely 24 hours after a game. So uh, you'll get uh, you'll be getting us on a Monday night with our player review and then the pod, the, uh, the podcast, the uh, space is 24 hours later, but it's all good. Um, thank you for, for listening. Hawks Insiders, $5 a month, $50 for the year for the best Hawthorne online content there is. Plenty of stuff happening there on the Substack between now and the weekend. We see any housekeeping I've missed before we go. No, just thanks again, everyone, for um, for reading all of our content, for listening. Um, we've had um, a lot of people listening to the podcast through all of your favourite pod providers. Um, so if you miss a space or you feel so inclined after match day, make sure you. Um, follow us in your favourite podcast provider um, and and check out our pods. But, uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. So thanks, everyone, uh, for jumping on board. So that's it. Have a good rest of the week and a great Easter and all the other festivals as well. And we will talk to you again next week on the Hawks Insider So Space. Good night, everyone.